Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that will help you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. Together, for you. All right, episode number three. This one's exciting because this is the third and final episode that we will be launching with. So this will complete kind of those initial three that you'll have access to right when the podcast goes live. Um, And that's kind of exciting for me. Uh, This is also an exciting episode because I tried to um, keep this really practical. Uh, In this episode, um, I've interviewed Dr. Miriam Burchuk, who is an anesthetist who works out of Calgary and has a couple years of experience of eating lower carbohydrate herself. Miriam is very knowledgeable about lower carbohydrate lifestyles and also is currently working on her American Board of Obesity Medicine certification, which is awesome. This is an interview between the two of us where we talk about the most practical aspects of lower carbohydrate living and how to apply them to your life. Uh, And I think there's some really good tips and information in this one to build on what we talked about in the last episode. And so I hope you really enjoy it. If you haven't had a chance to yet, I would really appreciate it if you would go over to iTunes and leave me a rating or review, which will really help in getting this podcast found by people who might benefit from it. And remember to hit the subscribe button so that you get notified as soon as new episodes come live. Uh, New episodes are going to be released every week on Mondays. And so if you subscribe, they'll just automatically populate on your phone, which makes it nice and easy. Without further ado, since this interview is a little bit longer, let's just get into it. Here's Miriam. Welcome to the show, Miriam. Thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Really excited to be here to have the opportunity to chat with you. Excellent. Uh, So I was thinking if we just, why don't we start with um, your experience and if you kind of give us sort of your history with eating lower carb. Sure. Um, so I was a uh, yo-yo dieter. I probably started dieting as a teenager. And over my lifetime, I mean, I don't know that I've ever kept track, but I probably lost and then regained hundreds of pounds. Um, and I did that through periods of kind of profound restriction. And I'd take the weight off and then I'd follow that with periods of kind of excess and feeling really out of control with regards to food. Um, and uh, that kind of yo-yo dieting really created a lot of um, I call it mental angst or mental or, or you know chatter in my head. It just was mm-hmm. really making me quite miserable. Um, and then through um, there's this Facebook group of Canadian female physicians, and I was introduced to that to a um, by a good friend who was a medical school uh, classmate, um, and she told me about the group, and so I signed on. I joined the Facebook group and followed along for about a week or so, and then I saw a book being uh, discussed. It was called uh, Sugar Free, and the author's name is Karen Thompson. And um, the book really addresses sugar as an addiction uh, for people that feel that way, and that book really resonated for me because I felt that, for me, that was true, that I was addicted to sugary treats and to things like pasta and bread, that they were foods that I just was not capable of eating in moderation. Um, And what I found is... So I embarked on LCHF. I committed to doing it. I prepared. I got ready for it. I had been out of town. I was out of the country and I returned and was ready to start, had my start date. Uh, And what I found really very quickly was that it felt very different for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think um, for me, you know, really the why LCHF has worked so well for me is, well, there's a few things. I think that having removed these foods from my diets, what it's done is it's drastically removed my cravings for them. 
Um, so I don't crave them anymore. And it's also, I mean, I work in a hospital where, um, as most uh, hospital work uh, uh, break rooms are, it's just littered with junk food. And so I'm constantly faced with these kinds of foods. And so if I not only do I not crave them as much, um, but when I am faced with them, I've just, I'm just much more likely to be able to uh, resist them. So that's the first thing. And then I think the other thing, the reason that, that LCHF has felt very different for me versus all my other dieting attempts um, was that I was given, in LCHF, you're given permission to use fat. And so being allowed to prepare recipes that rely on actually a fair bit of fat means that I'm able to really prepare delicious foods. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not left feeling deprived. Absolutely. That's a huge difference, isn't it? And so how long has it been where you've been fairly, um, like consistently low carb? Well, I have my start date. It's October 28th, 2016. So I'm nice. going on 27 months, I guess. I feel yeah. like a bit like, you know, people who quit alcohol or quit smoking, it, it feels that dramatic for me. Um, I, you know, I, I committed to, to doing it and I've, and I've stuck with it. Excellent. Yeah. And it's, you know, your experience of it just feeling totally different. Um, I remember that, that too. That my first attempt at low carb was um, the first person that suggested it to me was a weight loss coach I'd hired, but she couched it in like a low carb, low fat type approach. And I lost weight with it, but like it was challenging to do. Oh, I've, yeah. I've done those before and, they, and, and no. I just found I became incredibly preoccupied with food. Totally. So it was low fat, low carb and low calorie. And, uh, and that's know, called starvation. It was starvation. <laughs> and then the preoccupation with food and then the, just the, you know, when I, when I gave, you know, I lost all this weight and then just the rebound in the other direction and that oh, totally. loss of control. Um, that lack of satisfaction, right? Like, yeah. um, like that was the big thing when I switched to truly doing LCHF where I actually was eating fat. Um, like kind of what you said, like there were thought patterns and almost obsessive thoughts about food that were in my mind that I thought were just me and a personal fault. And they disappeared almost completely. Um, yes. And it, I remember just being amazed by it that, you know, all these things I thought were just so embedded in me as a person were actually what were created by what I was choosing to eat. Yeah. It's powerful, very powerful, very mm -hmm. liberating. I always describe when people ask me how I feel, it, it feels liberating to be free of all that. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting, like we're going to talk about some of the troubleshooting, but um, I think it might be an interesting topic to talk about from the start is one of the biggest uh, criticisms of eating low carb that you see in the media and stuff is the inability to maintain it, um, right? Like that's one of the biggest sort of... Um, Canada Food Guide type based concerns with it is that it's A, too restrictive and B, that nobody can maintain eating low carb for any length of time. Um, and I think like what you said in our experience through knowing many other people that do this as a lifestyle, it, it really is actually very simple to maintain long term um, from my viewpoint, but do you want to comment on it for you? Well, I think... Um I think you and I have both been lucky that we've had this support. I've been very active in the Facebook group. So I think any major lifestyle change um, requires uh, peer support. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that has been very beneficial for me. So for, for sure, the foods are satisfying. Uh, and I feel like this diet is sustainable. But I also um, don't want to undervalue the 
you know, the impact of the, of the peer support on, on helping me stick to this long-term. Mm-hmm. That may not be true for everyone, but that's been true for me. Um, and I think that, you know, that quitting smoking is also very difficult, uh, but mm-hmm. we don't tell people, oh, you're going to fail. We do everything we can to support them because we know it, it's, it's healthy for them. Uh, and so I feel that that's part of it is, you know, switching, making a major lifestyle change can be difficult for people. Uh, we need to provide the supports for people to be able to do that. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. I find um, I actually in my uh, weight management groups this week, we are talking about that is there's so much out there that tells people that essentially it's impossible to lose weight and maintain it over the long term. Um, And so I know in our health authority, the viewpoint is kind of like if because of the data that says it's hard for people to maintain weight loss, then we shouldn't even try and that your argument is kind of where I believe is just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't try. I think we should work on improving how we're doing it um, because probably the way we've done it in the past hasn't been adequate and it definitely hasn't been patient focused. Um, but if people want to have help with their weight, I think, you know, there needs to be support and stuff out there. I mean, I, and, and I think in investing in programs that support that. So I work in a hospital where I see thousands of dollars um, spent on what I call band-aids. So um, mm-hmm. putting people on dialysis or uh, fixing their hips. I mean, these are obviously necessary procedures, but they cost thousands of dollars. And yet the, um, the investment in the upstream preventative care is, is, isn't a fraction of what we spend on the, what I call the band-aids. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So let us start with, uh, so the idea of this uh, talk is for just kind of an informal back and forth uh, about practical tips uh, for when people are first starting out with low carb. And so let's start with just like tips for how do you actually get started? What are some of the best tips for when you're making that initial switch from a standard North American diet to switching to low carb? Well, I think, I think the first thing truly is you actually have to ask yourself, we're all, we're all familiar or most of us are familiar with this stages of change model and I'll go back to smoking cessation. So, but I think you have to really ask yourself, are you truly, are you, are you truly kind of contemplating and ready or are you not at that stage? Because if you're not at that stage, I think there are other things that you might be ready for. So if you're not ready to go for the full LCHF lifestyle, Maybe you're ready to just reduce your sugary beverages, you know, cut back on your sweetened lattes or mm-hmm. cut back a bit on your pasta or reduce your snacking at night. Or, you know, you're going to commit to um, trying to eat more mindfully, not eating in front of the TV or with your smartphone in your hand. So that's always my first question for people is, are you truly committed to this? Uh, and if you're not, then there are lots of other things you can. But if you are truly ready to go for it, um, then my biggest uh, word of advice would be to make sure that you're well prepared. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, that would be doing things like if you can, um, remove all the non LCHF foods out of your home. Uh, that's what I did. I was very fortunate that my husband was on board. Um, if there's others in your household who aren't going to join you in LCHF, then can you do your best to remove those foods that you're going to find most tempting? Um, so that's the first thing. Try and get your pantry ready, remove the foods you're not going to be eating, um, and then do some menu planning. So, uh, pick recipes that you're really going to love eating, that you're going to enjoy. Again, it's around this, you know, not feeling deprived. 
Um, make sure you, you're going to have the foods uh, you need so that you're going to be able to prepare those meals. So for me personally, um, as I said, I came home and I had my start date. I did a lot of mental preparation before I started. And then what I actually had to find I had to do was um, I had to set aside blocks of time in my calendar. I'm very, very busy. I'm constantly on the go. And so I, for, I had two periods a week, several hour periods that I set aside for grocery shopping and food prep and cooking. So that was what I needed to do. If it wasn't mm -hmm. in my calendar, I didn't make the time. So that was something. I think the, the preparation and the planning is incredibly important uh, for people um, uh, in, uh, in their success. Um, That's a fantastic tip. Um, other things I do, um, again, because I'm busy, uh, I make a point of when I cook, uh, when I do cook a meal, uh, I always make large batches. I went out and I bought little individual um, glass uh, portion uh, portion glassware. Uh, and almost every time I make a meal, I make sure that I make a big portion of it. And I'll set aside a few portions, either for lunches during the week or for dinners um, that I'll, you know, I'll put them in the freezer and for dinners down the line on other nights where I don't have time to cook. Um, mm -hmm. Those would be the two biggest things is it's the preparation, the putting aside the time, picking recipes. And then the other big thing for me has been cooking in giant batches so that I'm not spending as much time cooking. Yeah, I think those are great. And I think the preparation is a really important piece because especially when you're making quite a big lifestyle change, if it's left to chance, like if you haven't prepared and you're just expecting that you're going to make the right choices when you're out, those choices are really hard to make in those first days. Um, if, you, if you don't have food with you and you have to decide what you're going to eat at a restaurant or what are you going to go grab when you're hungry versus just having it all packed and know that you don't have to make any of those decisions makes it so much smoother. You know, I, um, I recently um, was chatting with someone about LCHF and my weight loss. And I said that it's been effortless, but I realized afterwards that that's not actually accurate. It hasn't been effortless. It's been keeping the weight off has been simple, has been mm -hmm. straight, straightforward, but there's been a, a huge amount of effort. I had to learn how to cook. I never enjoyed cooking. It was something I always preferred to outsource to people. I would grab things on the go. Um, uh, and I've had to learn to cook and I'm not a gourmet cook now, but I actually have uh, learned to derive pleasure from providing healthy food in my, you know, for myself, for my husband, um, experimenting a little bit. So there's effort involved for sure in grocery shopping, meal planning, food prep, making foods from scratch. I mean, I really believe in a, a whole foods LCHF approach. Mm -hmm. I try as much as possible to, to cook from scratch. Uh, and that requires effort. But I have decided that it's worth the effort. And so how initially, how did you make that decision? Because that's something that people often struggle with is, life is really, really busy. And it sometimes feels overwhelming to find the time like you did to cook your own meals, have healthy food prepared ahead of time. So how in those initial t days did you make that important to yourself where you actually made those changes and put that effort in? I mean, I think it's a few things. It's again, back to those stages of change. I think I was desperate. I was so miserable. The yo-yo dieting had just created so much chaos for me for so long that mm -hmm. I was just ready and desperate for a change. Um, and again, the peer support uh, was very, very helpful for me. Um, uh, I really think that the, that made the difference. Having people to bounce ideas off of, to um, reach out to for recipes, to... Um, uh, if I was struggling a little um, to get support from them, that made a difference. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I guess I told people too. I mean, my husband was aware that I was going to do it. Um, and setting aside the time, making sure that, um, you know, for the first few weeks that I had committed the time to do it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I would say, again, like any major lifestyle change, 
um, have a look and, and we're all as physicians, we're all very busy people, try and pick the right time. Uh, you know, I don't think going LCHF a week before Christmas is the right time to do it. <laughs> that um, would be so a challenging time. It would be a challenge. I mean, it, may, it might work for some, but probably not for most. So try and look at your calendar and do a bit of planning. This isn't something that, you know, needs to be done in a rush or hurriedly without a lot of forethought. Yeah, excellent. Um, I think my other tip just in that initial transition is um, be prepared for a little bit more hunger or um, cravings and stuff. And like I always found when I was starting and then in the times where I needed to restart a bit, I needed to just have extra LCHF foods around like extra slices of cheese in my lunch kit or um, some nuts in the car just so if some hunger or cravings hit, I, I easily had food to address them without feeling deprived and without feeling a need to go elsewhere for my food. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, you know, the LCHF philosophy is really only eat when you're hungry. But I think during those transitions, you mm -hmm. have to make sure you don't feel exactly as you said, you cannot feel deprived. And if that means eating uh, more than you normally would or more often or uh, snacking on things. So I would say, like you, bring things along. And if you're having a craving, um, you know, if you're someone who craves sweets, we'll make sure you've brought some dark chocolate along. Um, if you, if, you know, maybe a warm, frothy drink is going to do it for you. Or if you're a pop drinker, um, bring along some, um, you know, non-sweetened um, uh, soda, like a so those soda waters, those flavored soda waters. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a crunchy snack person, you know, bring wisps along or some nuts. But I think people can anticipate as they're transitioning that there may be cravings and there may just be a, a need, a want to eat that's not necessarily physical hunger. And Absolutely. I don't think the first, I don't think the first few weeks are the times to be exerting huge willpower. I think that's the time to just give in to those cravings and eat a little more maybe than you need, as and long as they fall within low carb, high fat parameters. Totally. I always find um, there's like this, that initial like unsettled craving transition days where you're going through, your body's transitioning and your brain's going through withdrawal if you've been eating higher carb, sugary type foods. And then there's always this point that I hit where I, I think of it like a boat going up on plane, <laughs> like yes. I'm working hard to go through the water. And then all of a sudden it's like, whew, there we go. That's and, a great analogy. Yeah. And it all kind of falls away. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm not that hungry. I don't really care about what foods I'm eating. And I and it's back. And it feels fantastic. But there's always those first days where I need to just like eat enough so I get through those days to, and then deal with cutting back once I'm up on plane is how I always think about it in my head. You know, and, and that's my frustration, especially you know, this time of year when all the mainstream media is covering all the best diets. And anytime they talk about, well, they only ever talk about LCHF is keto, but they call it keto. Um, and, and all they ever talk, they seem to really focus, um, they have a huge focus on that first week for people and how miserable it is and how they need, they give up because it's so terrible. And I, and I do think it's, it's, as you said, there's a few rough days and then that just all falls away. Uh, and so people have to be prepared that there are going to be these few rough days of keto flu, um, uh, but but you get through them, and it's worth persevering. And maybe we should just kind of describe what keto flu is like. Um, sure. And do you want to describe how you experience sure. it? So um, I guess firstly, uh, you know, keto. Well, the reason we they call it flu because I think it's flu-like. Uh, people um, feel lethargic. 
uh, dizzy, um, headachey, uh, low energy levels. And it usually for some, I mean, I, I actually didn't, my keto flu was, was pretty mild. Um, I would say it's at a minimum, maybe one or two days and a maximum six to seven days. Um, and I think um, given that we're physicians, I like to I'd describe, you know, exactly what's, what causes keto flu. So uh, most of us on our standard North American diet um, have quite high circulating insulin levels. Uh, when you cut your carbs dramatically, you drop your insulin levels dramatically. And uh, insulin actually um, has anti-natriuretic properties. So insulin interferes with the kidney's ability to, um, to, to uh, shed uh, sodium. So when you drop your insulin levels, you actually get natriuresis. You get a massive loss of sodium uh, mm -hmm. and water. Um, and that's actually felt to be one of the ways that LCHF can improve hypertension is this effect on insulin. Um, so with this profound natriuresis, it's, it's, um, it's going to be important to replace lost electrolytes. So um, keto flu is really just you know, dehydration and uh, loss of electrolytes. So if you can replace those electrolytes, um, lots of salt, uh, salty broth, magnesium supplements, and lots of water, um, that actually mitigates the symptoms of keto flu quite well. And, um, exactly. and I think if people can be coached through that, then they don't suffer nearly as much. Exactly. Um, and that's why, again, it's a bit about this preparation. You know, keto flu can be pretty miserable. So if you're planning to go LCHF, try and look at your calendar and try and find a week where, I mean, again, all of us are busy. Maybe there's not a great week to feel under the weather, but try and pick the best week you can. And I always, like, once I learned what keto flu was and learned how to address it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. The first times I did low carb and I didn't know about keto flu, I had wicked headaches. That's the biggest way it showed up for me, like horrible headaches. Um, but then once I figured that out, if I started to feel a headache, if I drink a good drink of water with some electrolytes, have a cup of broth, or I at work I take noon tablets – because um, they're easy to port, uh, then within kind of a half hour, the headache fades and it's fine. It's not the big issue. I think the media makes keto flu to be a big issue because... They're one, looking for reasons to disparage keto, I think. Totally. <laughs> and, and, and it's the, yeah, keto flu is an issue if you're not actually taught what it is and how to treat it. Absolutely. Like there's science behind it and yeah. it's easily rectifiable. Um, and I think, I think it's important noting that sometimes like the amount of water you need to drink and the amount of salt can seem significant, <laughs> like, um, but that's, you just, it's while your body's making that adaptation um, and it settles out. And I would say too, that I think for those of us who are eating processed foods before, I think we underestimate how much salt we were getting through processed foods. True. And so when yeah. you switch over to whole foods, you really have to salt your food in order to get adequate salt. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so then, so we've talked through kind of the, you know, the initial cravings withdrawal, just kind of getting through those days, deal with the keto flu, treat it. And then let's talk about how it feels on the other side, what things start to improve and what things are better eating low carb than a standard North American diet. Well, I always love coaching people through low carb because I'll hear back from them almost immediately that, wow, I can't believe my cravings are gone. Um, and I can't believe um, that I just don't feel hungry. I'm never hungry. And those are dramatic, um, especially for those of us that have struggled with, um, with cravings or feeling hungry all the time. Mm -hmm. People who get hangry, I was certainly one of those people. And that just mm -hmm. disappears. So it's really, um, again, liberating to be free of cravings and to be free of hunger. Um, 
uh, most people are going to report increased energy levels, especially that mid-afternoon slump, slump that people tend yeah. to experience. Um, energy levels get better. Um, and then again, and this is where I'm, I'm always, I always use the word anecdotally because you know, we don't have the studies to bear this out yet, but um, a lot of people are going to describe um, better mood. Uh, mm-hmm. I, have, I have quite a few uh, friends and colleagues that suffer with anxiety, and they have told me that subjectively they feel their anxiety is a lot better uh, when they're low carb, high fat. Um, and certainly for me, my mood got better. Now, I'm not sure whether, again, because of this yo-yo dieting and the constant chatter in my head about mm-hmm. food and dieting and what my weight was, uh, that all went silent. And so it's hard for me to know, is my mood better because I went silent or for other reasons, but I certainly feel uh, more stable from a mood point of view. Yeah. Um, And that's, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that's what I kind of wonder with the mood too, is if it's, if it's something that eating low carbon, higher fat and having less fluctuations in blood sugars and stuff does, or is it just so much of our mood can be wrapped up in our weight and our thoughts about it and our feelings that are out of control that when you suddenly are like oh I can actually I'm in control of this you know how much of it is that kind of like what you're describing yes for sure for sure although I do have um, I do know people where they weren't so preoccupied with weight but they do uh, did suffer from anxiety around other things and that's gone that's gotten better too so um, I know it's fascinating it really is um, other things anecdotally, uh, headaches and migraines. Again, not, not doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but I would say if you suffer from migraines or headaches, it's worth trying. Um, uh, Evelyn Bourdois Roy, uh, based in Montreal, is now working with um, chronic patients with chronic pain, and she says that they report uh, they get improvement in their pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you know just kind of other kind of frivolous things like my skin has never been clearer. People comment on, wow, you know, what have you been doing with your skin? What are you using on your face? Because your skin looks amazing. That was um, that was within a month or two. I you know look in the mirror, I think, wow, my skin has never looked this good. Yeah, fantastic. And I, I'd echo kind of all the stuff that you said. Like I think one of the biggest things I noticed personally is I used to if I had an opportunity to nap in the afternoon. I would absolutely take it. And that I think is partly chronic sleep deprivation from work. But um, I, switching to low carb, I rarely nap, like only if I've truly been up, you know, on call and stuff. Um, and that was a huge difference. It used to feel sort of uncontrollable if I had the opportunity to. Yeah. Um, and we had a, I'd asked for some um, comments from the Facebook group about other people. So, uh, and I'm I'm hoping that I pronounce her name right, but Sadia, Sadia, I think, uh, just mentioned that when she did tracking to see how what things got better and noted that she had less migraines, uh, her mood was better, her sleep was better, better skin and better energy. So well, similar, all the same things. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's actually interesting is I've noticed um, that I have much more vivid dreams and they were at first, I mean, now I'm just used to them because it's been so long. It's been several years, but um, they almost felt like nightmares. They were so vivid. And I went looking and apparently in the original Atkins studies, a lot of people did report very vivid dreams. It was quite different for me. I used to close my eyes and then my alarm would go off and it was morning. And now I feel like I'm dreaming through the entire night. It's, um, it's very different. <laughs> hmm. it's a strange thing. It doesn't happen for everybody, but I've had other people report it too. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, um, 
Now I wonder whether, so, you know, those are, those are things that feel better. I have, um, have you talked at all about, um, in, in other, any of your other podcasts about some of the things that improve, um, on LCHF objective markers? So those are all subjective things, you know, mood and headache, but things around, you know, blood work and, and markers of metabolic disease and all that. Yeah, no, we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, so if you want to run through them. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, as I'm studying for my ABOM exam, I'm really focused on metabolic disease. So, um, so there's certainly objective markers in people that are good, that improve, especially in those with insulin resistance or with metabolic disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I do is I usually recommend um, a baseline blood work for anyone who's starting an LCH diet. Um, most importantly, I think a baseline lipid panel is really important for people. Um, it's also nice to have, because um, these things can be followed and often improved, but it's nice to have a baseline hemoglobin A1C, uh, maybe a fasting insulin, uh, LFTs, uric acid, these often all improve. Um, and I would say that anyone who's doing LCHF should have their lipids uh, repeated at three to six months to follow mm-hmm. them. Um, so metabolic health uh, almost universally improves uh, on people for people who um, follow LCHF diets. And that's usually because there's a, well, there's often a preferential reduction in, in visceral fat. So the, you know, the fat around our organs, it's felt to be the most metabolically damaging um, fat. Um, Markers of cardiovascular risk definitely go, uh, get better. So blood pressure improves, uh, HDL cholesterol um, improves, triglycerides improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, markers of inflammation are going to improve. So things like uh, WBCs uh, are going to drop, and CRP, uh, marker of inflammation, uh, usually drops. Um, and CRP is actually, uh, I saw an article recently saying that CRP is more predictive of cardiovascular disease than LDL cholesterol is. So I think we're going to see more and more uh, literature coming out on the importance of uh, looking at CRP, um, especially elevated CRP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the reason I said that people should measure um, baseline lipids and then again at three months, or three to six months, is because of this issue about LDL. Um, and it's a complicated and a, as, as mm-hmm. I'm sure you know, it's a complicated and a contentious topic. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I'm, uh, you know, and the experts still debate it. So we're certainly not going to solve it here today. But um, I would say that what LCHF does is it tends to move people um, from what we call pattern B LDL, where the LDL particles are small and hard, uh, towards a, um, a pattern A, where they're large and fluffy. Mm-hmm. And it's felt that it's the pattern B LDL particles that are more atherogenic. So in theory, uh, you're moving people's LDL towards a less atherogenic profile uh, with LCHF. Mm-hmm. Now, for some people, LDL particle number uh, does increase. Um, and for a small minority of people, it, it can increase um, uh, dramatically. And I think the question remains in the LCHF community, and this is, I would say this hasn't been answered yet, um, is does this rise in LDL uh, increase cardiovascular risk in the context of low systemic inflammation? And yeah. like I said, there's no answer to this, so I certainly don't have an answer. But I think you know, those individuals who do see the L- their LDL rise will have to consult with their physicians and reach their own decisions. Um, exactly. But what I have observed is that um, often for those people whose LDL goes up, if they shift their fat and, and let's say they're loving LDL and they want to stick with it, they're experiencing lots of other benefits, um, simply shifting their fat sources, you know, decreasing the saturated fat. So a little less uh, dairy, a little less meat, if they're drinking MCT oil or coconut oil, a little less of that and shifting more towards unsaturated fat. So whether that's olive oil or nuts mm-hmm. or avocados, often does brings the LDL back down and that's all that's needed. And I think it's worthwhile mentioning too that just the process of significant weight loss also in some people can be reflected with significant increases in cholesterol, but that's usually temporary. Mm -hmm. Like that's usually something you can kind of follow and it'll often go down as well. 
So you wait until weight is stable, and then those are the lipids you're going to be looking at. Yeah, like in my so in my patients that I see locally, we follow lipids every three months while they're losing, uh, just to watch and see what they do. Because like you said, it's you hope for improved lipids, but the odd person has uh, changes that you need to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's talk about what we actually eat. Because okay. I think when you're standing at the outset, thinking about switching to low carb, um, it can seem really overwhelming to not have pasta bread um, and grains in your life. And a lot of people just don't actually know what you would actually eat. Um, and so I was thinking if we start at the beginning of the day and kind of go, okay, what would, what would common easy things be that we would eat breakfast? And then we'll kind of go through the day. Sure. Tips. So number one, do you now, do you eat breakfast? I do not. No, I don't. So that's, that's the LCHF philosophy is it's, if you're not hungry, don't eat. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do a creamy coffee some days. Um, uh, Especially with, you know, uh, an Americano made with heavy cream is pretty decadent. So I'll do that as a treat once or twice a week, but I usually am not eating until late morning or around lunchtime. And when you were first transitioning, did you need to eat breakfast at that point? Well, what's interesting is that I was never a breakfast eater. I was never hungry in the morning, but we're taught, we've been conditioned to believe that a healthy day starts with breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tended to just ignore that because I really wasn't hungry. I thought, why am I eating if I'm not hungry? Um, So I really loved this LCHF philosophy is, you know, if you're not hungry, then don't eat. And I thought, well, perfect. I'm not hungry in the morning. Well, I don't want to eat. So yeah, so so I'm not a breakfast eater. Okay. Um, And I don't really eat breakfast now either. Um, I think like what I see in people, um, again, breakfast traditionally is a very carbohydrate rich meal. Like if you think of people toast and juice and yogurt, all are like carbs, carbs, carbs. Um, And a lot of people that I work with, I find get quite anxious about the idea of changing because they feel they don't have time at breakfast. And so what I actually did when I was first transitioning is I gave myself permission to not actually eat breakfast foods. Number one, I don't actually really like eggs, so that made that uh-huh. easier. But um, I just would make extra at dinner, and I would pull my leftovers out. I would have meat and veg, meat and roasted veg, heat it up in the microwave, quickly eat it, and be out the door. Um, and so that's one of my biggest tips is, because um, I hear a lot of people who don't like eggs and they can't figure out what to eat is, you know, if you do want to eat breakfast, give yourself permission to not eat breakfast food. Um, there are lots of like breakfast type recipes out there, like frittata egg cups and things like that, that you can prep ahead. Uh, and which, there are, yeah, there are non, and I'm not an, I don't like eggs either. And there are non egg ones. I mean, all, you know, yeah. the, the internet's just an endless resource for recipes and meal ideas. So if you punched in, you know, non egg LCHF breakfast. There's a huge long list of them as well. But I agree with you. I mean, breakfast doesn't have to be breakfast food. Um, You can think outside the box a bit. When I do eat some form of breakfast, like depending on what my running is doing, sometimes I am hungry. Um, I'll, I I generally, I keep those Balderson cheese slices from Costco in the fridge because they're nice and portable. And then um, I'll keep some often jerky in the fridge. And so I'll grab a slice of cheese and a little bit of jerky on my way out the door and eat it while I drive to work, and that's breakfast, uh, which, and that holds me um, until lunch and works well for me. 
I did that a lot at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. I always had a, I had a little packet of almonds in the car and I carried those cheeses with me in case I got hungry. So this is a bit around this, you know, those first few weeks of transitioning to um, things that are portable that are easy to take in case you do get hungry and can't find anything that's, you know, LCHF friendly. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You know, it's uh, uh, just saying that makes me remember it took me a long time to trust that I wouldn't actually get hungry during the day. Like I, there was a chunk of time where I was taking far more food than what I actually needed in the day because I always had this fear that I was going to get hungry. Well, and I work long shifts, so my lunch bags used to be so huge I could barely fit them in the fridge at work, and and that's it. Now I, you know, one or two things, if if anything, you know, sometimes I just decide, oh, this will be the day where I really just you know skip breakfast and lunch and just have dinner because I don't feel like carrying all this food to work. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very different. <laughs> I used to have, you know, three meals for a 24-hour shift, three meals and three snacks and giant lunch bag. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so lunch options, what would you traditionally eat for a lunch? Well, so I always make a point of bringing my lunch to work, um, and that's going to depend on your workplace, but it can be challenging to find LCHF-friendly foods. Um, and I love dinner, just like you do dinner leftovers for breakfast, I love dinner leftovers for lunch. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I almost always do. Um, uh, for people that don't, I mean, there's some things that just pack really easily. So hard-boiled eggs, uh, nuts and cheese we've talked about, um, chopped veggies, cured meats, um, canned fish, things like tuna or sardines or oysters. Um, those all pack really easily. And in fact, depending on your workplace, you can just leave those in the fridge, you know, little portions ready to go. You take a week's worth of hard-boiled eggs and you leave them there and you grab one every day. Um, lucky, lucky co-workers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They may not be impressed. Um, and then I love, I personally love, I really like a warm, something warm for lunch. So mm -hmm. it's, it's either reheating leftovers or I really like soups. Um, so I usually make a big batch of soup. I love my Instant Pot. I think for anyone yeah. who's going to start doing some cooking, an Instant Pot's a great idea. So I make giant batches of soup. And then what I usually do is, you know, soup's not very high in fat. So I'll add some Parmesan whisk crackers in and mm -hmm. I'll slice up half an avocado and throw that in. And it's just a delicious lunch. Um, yeah, that sounds so I good. Do, I do soup pretty often. I find um, I, I either do leftovers um, and I do a lot more salads now, but I think it's important noting they're not like the boring, you know, chicken breast, low fat dressing salads, like a salad with a good, rich homemade dressing, some protein on it and something interesting like some nuts or some cheese or something that adds a bit of texture and flavor to it. And I can be really happy <laughs> eating one of those salads. That was actually my dinner last night. It was just, you know, I didn't just feel like making anything. And there was some leftover roasted cauliflower. I had some, you know, washed up some lettuce, threw some feta on there, some pistachios, um, a little bit of olive oil and vinegar. And it was just a delicious, really delicious meal. Yeah. So, so roasted good. veg is great in, in salads too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So dinner uh, choices. Um, so you mentioned Instant Pot stuff. What would be your favorite Instant Pot uh, recipes? Uh, I have a, um, a, a beef curry or a, a, like a, a butter chicken that I do. So oh, yeah. one of my favorite, uh, I mean, there's so many great, um, so many great websites, but I love Two Sleevers. Yeah, I love her butter chicken uh, recipe. Yeah, so, so that's so good. And I love her story too. Um, yeah. She and her husband um, both had had uh, gastric sleeve surgery and... Um, uh, realize that in order to keep the weight off, they're going to have to make a major lifestyle change. So she's become a huge advocate for healthy eating. And I just love her, her recipes and her story. She has um, a really good eggplant Bartha. I don't know. Oh, if you've seen oh. In, yeah. 
it's good. I love I it. Plant Bartha, um, you should look okay. it up. Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, for dinners, again, you know, rethink your stereotypes. Dinner doesn't have to be dinner food. So if you're one of those people that loves eggs, um, an omelet, um, or a crustless quiche with a green salad, that's a beautiful dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I started LCHF, what I would do is I would do, um, I would make myself, you know, a, a, a portion of meat, a side veg, and then I would make a starch for my husband. So he'd get you know, some potatoes or some rice. And then over time, what I did is I transitioned us um, to kind of these, I'm going to call them, I don't know, starch lookalikes. So these low carb Mm -hmm. starch. Um, So things like cauliflower rice or cauliflower mash, which in some ways are actually more delicious than the original, you know, high carb versions. Absolutely. Um, And now we've actually just gotten used to no starch at all. These things take time. I mean, I've been at this for over two years, but now we just don't even do a starch. So there's a meat and a veg and a green salad or a nice stew or a curry um, roasted veggies, lot we do lots of those. Um, um, I guess what I should mention too is I'm kind of describing my meal. We do eat meat and we eat dairy in my household, but I think it's important. You know, there's always this misconception that LCHF is a meat-heavy diet, and I and I always think it's important to point out that that doesn't have to be the case. There are mm-hmm. lots of people who are vegetarian doing LCHF, and there are even vegans doing LCHF. So it doesn't have to be a high meat diet. Uh, in our house, we happen to like meat. Um, I mean, one of my favorite uh, meals that I make in giant batches, I make two huge trays, is um, it's a vegetarian um, eggplant parmesan. And then mm. I just chop it up into little individual portions and it freezes perfectly. So it is just a delicious, you know, That's either pull it out for dinner or take it to work and have it for lunch. Kind of this warm, cheesy eggplant lasagna in the middle of the day. So. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. Um, for us, so I have three kids. So um I think it's worthwhile maybe talking about how, uh, like how we eat low carb because my husband and I, he's got diabetes. Um, and so we're quite low carb. Uh, and at first I was always still making, you know, rice or pasta or something for the kids. So they had their starch. Um, and I've moved away from that over the years in that I, when you look at a kid's diet, um, they get a lot of carbohydrates in their diet. Um, and I realized, you know what, if we're, if they're not having a starch at dinner, they're just quite fine. They, you know, they eat more fruit than we do. They do have things like crackers or some whole wheat toast and things like that, that we don't eat. Um, and I think that that gives them plenty of carbohydrates. You know, there's the whole discussion of whether or not kids actually need it or not. And we can do that another day, but that's a comfort level that we've come to. And I'd agree with you that initially, I was all about making replacements for my previous carbohydrate foods. And so spent a lot of time making things like the cauliflower rice and the uh, zoodles and stuff. And now we've really just, um, sometimes we make that stuff, but a lot of it really just is meat, vegetables with a fat um, and trying to keep it as simple and take as little prep time as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it works well for us. Uh, I do a lot. I was, I was going to ask, so you have children, I don't. It's, you know, I think you could do an entire, another episode on how do you manage LCHF with kids. But um, I guess my, uh, what I wanted to know is, do you, do, do you find that you're preparing most of your food from scratch? And how much are you needing to do pre, you know, pre, not necessarily processed, but things that have been prepared for you? So very little. I'd say we've always been mainly scratch cookers, um, even before we went low carb, but um we do, there's very little food that we eat that's uh, pre-done or pre-packaged. So the way I address that is I meal plan 
every week, Saturday mornings, I sit down and I do a meal plan. And the episode after this one, I'm going to talk about meal planning um, for the week. And the program I use gives me my grocery list. And then I print out the meal plan with all the recipes and stick it to the fridge. Uh, I'm finding because of kids' activities, <clears throat> we have to do a lot more slow cooker meals because I don't even have time between when I get home and when we need to eat to do Instant Pot. So I've been doing a lot more just kind of shredded meats on often salads now because they're just faster than even roasting vegetables. Um, and then trying to make enough so at least one night a week is just leftovers as much as the kids don't like that. It <laughs> makes it easier to just pull stuff out of the fridge. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what recent recipes I've made in the slow cooker and I can't think of them right now. Um, there, one of my favorite recipes is the, have you made um, uh, the Kahlua pork by Nom Nom Pilo? Nom Nom, no, I haven't. I love her recipes too. Oh, yeah. You should make the Kahlua pork and then you crisp it up in the oven uh, when it's done and you can put it like in a taco type thing or we make like a taco salad with it. Uh, and it's so tasty and good and so easy. And then you've got like pork for the rest of the week. It's, oh, that sounds delicious. It's a great meal. Um, okay, so let's talk about, um, we kind of talked about snack options already. So let's talk about what to drink. Because again, if you're going from regular North American diet, there's a good chance things you've been drinking have a lot of sugar in them. And when I say drink, I mean um, non-alcoholic stuff. And we can touch base on alcoholic options too. But, um, you know, transitioning from having juice or... My patients are always surprised when they look at the carb count of like the uh, Tim Hortons ice caps and stuff oh. like that that they've been drinking. Um, so when you're transitioning from that type of stuff, what do you actually drink? And we talked about lots and lots of water as a baseline. Um, what are your other beverages that you like? Well, I think, you know, I think it's tough for people. So I think, first of all, drawing attention to how much uh, sugar we actually drink. I think a lot of people are on, uh, you know, I think, I mean, it's obvious to me that there's a lot of sugar in an ice cap, but I would have never guessed how much sugar there was in a, in a vanilla latte, let's say, at, um, from Starbucks. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, those little, the little sweetened, those shots are very, very high in sugar. So um, transitioning away from sugary drinks can be hard for people. Um, I'm going to say, especially for those who are addicted to pop. So yeah. it's easy enough if, if you're on a, you know, if you just absolutely feel like you must have your vanilla latte, then you can switch to the unsweetened version. And then eventually I think, possibly get yourself right off it completely. Um, I really like heavy cream in coffee. I find it adds enough sweetness. And then your palate changes over time too. I used to do caramel lattes and vanilla lattes, and now I just do an Americano with heavy cream and I've learned to really like it. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to say that we have to give our palates time to change and eventually they, they usually do. For people addicted to pop, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, do you want to transition from you know full Coke to Coke Zero or Diet Coke and then hopefully eventually off? For some people, that's what they'll need to do. For others, It'll be, you know, just switching to something else that's fizzy. So whether that's, you know, soda stream or soda water that's, you know, sweetened, those zero calorie uh, soda waters, flavored ones. Um, but we do drink a lot of sugar and we drink a lot of our calories. And um, we can talk later about low carb, high fat. In low carb, high fat, it's easy to drink a lot of calories too. And I think you just have to be yeah. cautious about that. So, um, I mean, that would be for, you know, non-alcoholic. And for alcoholic, it's, you know, for the, for the beer drinkers out there, I'm not sure there's good news. It's, it's tough. Um, I think, uh, from what I understand, dry wines and some spirits are fine. You got to be careful for the spirits, what you're mixing it with. 
Um, mm -hmm. But there are alcoholic options for people who are low carb, high fat. Um, and then this is, I mean, this is my personal philosophy. Um, I, I personally am, I'm liberal low carb. Um, I have no reason from a health point of view to be strict low carb. And so I think that there is room for some flexibility. So if you're out at a, if it's a football game and you love, you know, it's, whether it's once a week, you love one beer with your football game. Um, and if that's what's going to make this sustainable for the rest of your life, then I say go for it. Everyone's got to make their choices around sustainability and what they need to allow themselves. So mm -hmm. that may be a food that, you know, beer doesn't fall under low carb, high fat. Uh, most definitely not. But if that's what you need, if you're willing to give up everything else, but you still need your beer once a week, then my personal philosophy is, well, maybe, you know, go for it and make sure you enjoy it. I mean, you're actually counseling patients. I don't know if your philosophy is different. You know, what I often talk about is, because um, the problem is, is brains are black and white often, right? And so you think I need to do this in this way or else I'm not doing it. And therefore, then our brains say, therefore, you may as well do this. <laughs> so, like, you know, I think as much as possible, thinking not in terms of perfection, but in terms of what works for you and what you can maintain, and realizing that if you do choose to have something like a beer, or, you know, you do choose to have the odd sugary drink, recognizing that that's not a sign of complete failure of the process. It's just a choice that you made. And that's totally fine. We're all allowed to make choices. And then you just, you know, follow it up with further good choices. Because um, the slippery thing is when people view making a choice like having a beer, having one sugary drink as this is a sign that, this, that I can't do this. And then, then it, they get into thought patterns and stuff that then leads them to making further yeah. choices. Or, that, oh, I've had this beer, I may as well have the nachos too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I was really guilty of that. Oh, this day is a write-off already. I may as well go out with a bang. May as well just keep doing it up. Um, okay, so speaking of which, let's talk about eating out because that's mm -hmm. something that people, I think, find like, what, what would you possibly eat? And yet I find it really easy. I agree with you, actually. That's, uh, yeah, eating out is not as difficult as you'd think. So, you know, there's always going to be, almost always, there's an entree available uh, where there's a meat and a veg. And all you just need to do is ask them to, to leave off the starch. Um, what I like to do is I usually peruse the entire menu looking for things that I can eat. And then I'll say something like, um, you know, instead of the mashed potatoes, do you think you could add some of the avocado and pumpkin seeds? I see that you serve that with your salads. Um, mm. Or I'll say, um, you know, I'd like your burger with no bun. Do you think you could do a side of veg uh, instead? Um, I mean, these days, wait staff are really, they're used to people with, with dietary restrictions. And I'd say that most restaurants are going to try to accommodate reasonable substitutions. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, certain restaurants are not going to be easy. So if everybody is going out for pizza, I mean, I, I guess because right. you, pull, you pull the toppings off the pizza. I mean, I think Asian restaurants like Thai or Vietnamese are particularly difficult. Sushi's mm -hmm. difficult. Um, I mean, I try to, what I like to do is if someone's proposing a restaurant, I will look up the menu online in advance and I'll make sure there's something there that I can eat. Mm -hmm. um, and I find actually what I have found, I remember learning this through, you know, weight loss techniques years ago, but if you actually pick your meal in advance, then you're less likely to be, you know, swayed by last minute temptation if you decide in advance mm. what you're eating. Um, and then my philosophy on this is that, you know, sometimes all you can do is make the best choice you can. So, you know, if, if the entire family has, or has decided that everyone's going out to eat somewhere and, and there's really nothing for you there, that's right. You just do the best you can. And it's like you said, you just get back on track the next day. If this is a lifestyle, lifelong lifestyle change, 
um, you can't possibly always be perfect at it. And I think part of long-term success is accepting that it's not always going to go perfectly. Exactly. I think that's so important. Um, and yeah, so the one thing is, so sushi, I would say, you know, sash- sashimi, right? Um, mm-hmm. And edamame. That, yeah. that would be the things I would order at a sushi restaurant. And teriyaki. And I mean, there's sweet sauces. It's, it's going yeah. uh, to be a trade-off. It's not perfect. Well, yeah. again, it's, and this is the thing I talk to people about is there's a range, right? Like there's the completely carb-loaded, sugar-loaded kind of North American standard eating out meal. And there's the really keto meal. But you can, there's gray in there. Like, you know, having some if you choose chicken with a bit of teriyaki sauce on it instead of a whole big teriyaki bowl with all the rice and everything else with it, it's still a better choice. Yes. And so it's about better choices, not perfect choices. Agree. Yeah, agree totally. Um, and I feel that as I've, I've been at this over two years now, I've gotten um, a bit more lenient with myself. And I, I mean, you have to be careful because then I can you know, creep up on you. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm less... I'm less strict with myself. I'm a little more accepting of, you know, I just have to do the best I can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so other eating out things, like when I, um, so I like lettuce wrap burgers. And I think it's important to note, because again, people often talk about needing easy food, that pretty much every single restaurant I've ever been to will let us wrap your burger for it, including all the fast food restaurants. Um, and so that makes it if you need to do a drive-through doing a lettuce wrap burger is often one of the easiest quick grab and go feels familiar but it's totally on plan um and then i often choose like just a protein and a a veg and i think most restaurants will let you order one of their sides of the vegetables on its own um one of the things I love and I have always loved and I used to have a lot of guilt over eating is hot wings. And now I don't have to have any guilt over them when they're not breaded. <laughs> and we, so, we do chicken wings for dinner re- regularly in my yeah. house. Yeah. So I'll order like um, hot wings and a side veg and that'll be my lunch. And it's fantastic and I feel decadent eating it. And yet it, you know, I can, I can lose weight eating that. It, it doesn't affect it at all which is kind of fantastic in my life. (laughs) And and a lot of restaurants will have avocado. It's often present in their salads. So, you know, Mm. a side of avocado. Now, sometimes you you have to pay up for these things, but if you're willing to do that, then, um, you know, these substitutions are usually pretty easy. And that's an interesting one that I've never tried is just getting avocado on the side. Mm -hmm. Do that another time. Oh, yeah. Throw Um, it on a piece of meat. Delicious. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, so eating out, or sorry, not eating out, but eating on those really busy days or the days where you're on call and you don't get to leave the hospital. Um, you mentioned packing your own food, but that you pack less, but do you have any other tips that you use? Um, well, I think, you know, I think what's interesting, and maybe this is just me, you know, being an anesthetist and working such long hours, but I think it's a really on call and when you're starting to want to eat is an excellent opportunity for a bit of mindfulness. So, mm-hmm. you know, are, am I truly hungry or am I wanting to eat because, you know, everybody else is fast asleep in their warm beds yeah, or they're out enjoying a beautiful day. And I'm stuck here at work feeling sorry for myself. So um, I find myself often wanting to eat for exactly that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the first thing on call. Um, I tend to, you know, on call days, if you're into fasting at all, or um, some time restricted 
fasting or time-restricted eating, um, those are excellent opportunities. Um, and I tend to bring, I just bring more of, you know, I, I'll bring, if I'm on a long shift, I'll bring two, you know, what, what I would consider meals, two or three. Um, what's really interesting for me actually is in the middle of the, um, the middle of the night, I don't get hungry the way I used to. If I would get woken for a case or for an epidural and I would wake up just that kind of ravenous nausea feeling yeah, yeah. from having been sleep deprived. And I don't have that. I mean, not that I don't feel tired in the middle of the night, but there isn't that nausea and that hunger that yeah. I used to have. That's been quite interesting. Um, yeah. What do you find? What do you do? Um, so one thing I did, I used to always like, you know, cause I do obstetrical calls. So on the weekends, like you leave in the morning to go around and my brain would always be like, oh, okay, well, you know, you don't need to pack food because the round list isn't that bad and you'll be home. And then inevitably something would happen and I didn't get to go home. And then I, my brain would also, the same brain <laughs> would say, hey, you deserve to go through the drive-thru. <laughs> um, and so what I've started doing is being fairly strict with myself that when I leave to round on the weekend, I bring a lunch and I may not eat it, but it's there. And that can be... Um, you know, it can be lunch or maybe it's dinner. Like I just, if it's cool out because we're in the North, I just leave it in the car uh, and know that I have food and usually throw some of those cheese, uh, um, Balderson cheeses in. I try and keep some, uh, I keep flavored nuts in my car for um, when I really need something. I, I buy these salt and vinegar peanuts and they're not strictly low carb because there is a little bit of carb in the seasoning. But again, that versus hitting up a drive through yeah. totally different. Um, and then I need to, I need to bring a water bottle and I find that makes a big difference in my hunger um, because the hospital is so dry. Like I, the, I find when I'm doing call shifts and you're there and you're up in the middle of the night, like I get so dried out. And if I'm not drinking, I find I get kind of, you know, snacky and gravy mm-hmm. <laughs> more. Than yeah. Sometimes that, that hunger is not actually hunger. It's just thirst. I, yeah, I definitely. Totally. And then the, the thing I've, I've had to work a lot on is what do you do when the nurse's station is, you know, when there's big bowls of chips out and it's 3 a.m. and you really want to be in bed, but you're sitting and waiting for somebody to have a baby. Um, and I've just really had to work on just letting myself be okay with the fact that I would like to eat those chips, but knowing that I'm not going to eat the chips and just kind of, not avoiding those feelings, but just letting them be there and knowing that they're going to pass. And that's been far better than the, like, you know, staring at the chips and going, no, I'm not going to eat the chips. I'm not going to eat the chips. I'm not going to eat the chips. And then eventually caving in and eating the chips. Uh, Cause that's a challenge when like you're like the combination of being tired, yeah, not having control over your schedule or when you can leave and repeatedly being faced with, kind of high carbohydrate craveable type foods uh, is a real combination that's a challenge. And I don't know how nurses do it who are, you know, consistently up. Well, they don't. And that's why they're, um, you know, that's why their obesity and their type 2 diabetes rates are through the roof. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually an area that I really um, infuriates me. And I'm trying to do some advocacy work around, um, you know, these are our, our break spaces, which are supposed to be our safe spaces where we go to rest and recuperate are really minefields um, for people who are at very high risk of metabolic disease and of obesity. Um, I find it very upsetting, you know, and I think I'm particularly worked up about it um, because for me uh, it it, it is a real trigger. I've just gone through, you know, we're now through the Christmas season. This was my first 
holiday season, um, I'm sorry, my third holiday season being low carb. Uh, and it's very, it is very hard for me. I work a lot during the holidays, lots of overnights, short turnaround times, not much time to sleep. So I am exhausted. And so my willpower is at an all time low. Um, and our break rooms are the same. They're just littered with junk food. So mm-hmm. I think what I'm actually working on accepting is that, is that they may not go as I'd like them to go. I mean, this, this, mm-hmm. you know, I succumbed this past uh, Christmas and I did the two previous Christmases. Um, and so what I'm working on is just accepting that, you know, this time of year is always going to be my Achilles heel. Well, not, maybe not always, but maybe my Achilles heel. And that yeah. I just need to kind of let that go and recognize that the other remaining 50 weeks of the year, um, uh, I've, you know, all the health benefits I've done um, and I've acquired through eating well through the rest of the year are not going to be undone by two weeks of excess. So that's yeah. been my personal struggle, just kind of trying to accept less than perfection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I would say people, you know, it's interesting because that stuff around, I think when you're not in, well, certainly for us physicians who are, um, you know, working shift work or up at night um, or where our workspace is, is littered with junk food. Um, I mean, the other places too, I think where people often struggle is um, when they're not in control of their schedule or their food. So uh, vacations or traveling can often be challenging times for people. And I think this Mm -hmm. trying to prepare in advance and trying to come up with strategies can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And then again, maybe this accepting that it's just not going to be as, as it's not going to go as well as, as you'd like it to, but the rest of the year you do, you do great. And that's, um, that's all you can hope for. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like things, and we'll talk more on other episodes, but to the challenge with things like vacation is there's a lot of thought patterns about vacations and food too mm-hmm. where you know a lot of I deserve <laughs> yeah it, it, it's vacation I may as well uh, right and and a lot of entertainment on vacation comes through food mm-hmm. uh, which is a challenge um, to to kind of work on um, okay so we've been going for a while let's just quickly run through kind of some common troubleshooting stuff okay okay um, and then it'll probably be time to wrap it up but so, and again, these are things that the media, when they're talking kind of negative comments about lower carb, these are often things that they bring up. The first one would be constipation. Um, and I'd say solved easily with a magnesium supplement. Exactly. Doesn't have to be a problem. Yep. Yeah. And fluid and electrolytes, mm-hmm. I think, too, make a yep. difference to that. But yeah, if you're constipated, take magnesium. Yeah. It's, it helps. And drink a ton of water because yep. you need a lot. Uh, hair loss. Um, did you experience that? I did. Now I have, I mean, as I said, I've lost weight many times in my life and I always lost a lot of hair. Now it usually for me happened, you know, two to three months after the large weight loss. Exactly. Um, Now I, you know, it's called telogen effluvium and it's, it's a normal response to weight loss. And I would say that the hair uh, regrows. It can take a long time to regrow. Um, And especially as we get older, our hair follicles spend less time in their growing phase. So as we get older, it's going to take longer to regrow, but it does. My experience is that it came back. Yeah. And I think that's an important point I wanted to make is that it's not losing weight on low carb that makes you lose hair. It's any significant weight loss or essentially any significant stressor to your body causes that. Um, And that it's temporary, but it can feel for some people stressful while it's happening. Absolutely. Uh, Muscle cramps. Uh, magnesium. magnesium. <laughs> yeah. I take, I just take magnesium uh, twice a day, period. Oh, so I, not just at night. Some people just take it at night. Yeah. I find taking it during the day helps um, with the muscle cramps too. Hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, and so the not losing weight, so the following low carb and feeling like the scale's not budging concern that people have. Well, the first thing I'd say is that the scale's not the best measure. So yeah. for anyone who's starting low carb, high fat, I know we all, well, a lot of us love our scale, well, love or hate our scales. We use that as our, uh, for our feedback, and I don't think it's the right uh, measure. So I would say definitely take baseline measurements. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, waist, hip, bust, arms, legs, um, because sometimes the scale doesn't move for quite a long time, but your measurements are still dropping. And that's from a, a change in body composition. So if the scale's not moving, um, check your measurements. Now, plateaus are quite normal. Sometimes people mm -hmm. experience, and, and, and what's a plateau? I mean, I think, you know, it can be normal for the scale not to budge over several weeks. I would say, you know, I'll see what you think. But, I, you know, I would say you have to wait at least four to six weeks to call that a plateau. Yeah. I, I, can, I know it can be frustrating um, for people to not see, not see anything change. They, people like to see every week, so like to see more progress. But I wouldn't really call it a plateau until it's four to six weeks. So if you've hit a real plateau, um, then I would say, um, you know, look out for the following things. So I call those things um, carb creep, where your mm -hmm. carbs are slowly, you know, like, oh, I'll just put a little ketchup on my burger or, oh, I'll just allow a little more sweet potato in here. I know I'm not, you know, that's a healthy carb. Um, so carb creep, um, alcohol creep, allowing yourself a bit more um, alcohol, mm -hmm. drinking liquid calories. That's mm -hmm. especially true. Well, in, 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 for people who are low carb, high fat, I would say beware of the heavy cream. You can yeah. consume. So although, you know, I would I'd like to tell people that with low carb, high fat, what I have found so liberating is I don't count my calories and I don't count my carbs, but that doesn't mean that, and there's a lot of debate about calories, but, but calories are not irrelevant. Calories are still important and mm -hmm. you can, on low carb, high fat, you can overdo it. And the ways, the easy ways to overdo your calories are in things like heavy cream, nuts, and cheese, yeah. you know, lots yeah. of calories in those foods. So if you're finding you're hitting a plateau and you want your weight to continue dropping, then I would say you've, you've got to make sure you're not overdoing it on those things. Um, the other thing I would say is that anecdotally, I think postmenopausal women seem to be, seem to do better if they're keeping their fat slightly lower and their protein slightly higher. So, you know, their macros are going to be um, lower on the fat and higher on the protein if, if weight loss is what they're hoping for. Mm -hmm. That's what I've observed. And I think, you know, the cheese and nuts thing too, it's worth mentioning that for some people, those are trigger foods too. Mm -hmm. And so being aware for yourself, like, is it that you can have a few nuts and feel satisfied and feel fine? Or do nuts kind of trigger ongoing eating and then those big Costco containers of salted nuts end up empty really quick? Um, and if that's the case, then that's probably a food that you might just want to keep out of your house for a while. Um, I always found that, um, so like I said, you know, the first bit, you're the first few days I'm just eating more to just get satisfied. And then once my appetite kind of hits that plane where it feels really stable, there's an element of habit on what size of portions I dish myself that I, that my brain thinks I need to stay satisfied for until the next meal. Um, but that's actually not true. Like, um, and so often what I'll do is I'll start eating off a smaller plate just to remind myself to not dish so much. And I can always go back for more if I'm hungry, but I really find eating low carb that my eyes are bigger than my stomach. Um, like I fill up far faster than what my brain will tell me I should fill up. Um, and so just really kind of trimming down portion sizes and making use of that stable appetite uh, can make a difference on weight loss. 
Um, yes. And I, I think too, you know, again, when you look at keto in the um, media, it really shows like super, super, super high fat. And the reality is when you're using it for weight loss, what you want to do is eat enough fat so you feel satisfied, but leave a gap of energy demands from what your body needs and what you consume so that your body then taps into your fat stores to get that difference. Yes. And so if you're eating piles and piles of added fat, you, like you said, you may just be eating all the, all the food energy you need in a day and you're not giving your body that chance to access your own fat stores, uh, yeah. which is what you want to do if you're losing weight. Yes, I would. I mean, I'd love to talk um, briefly about, and, and it's true, it's always anytime you hear or see an article about keto, they talk about fat bombs or bulletproof coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I want, I, I'd love to just kind of chat about that briefly. I think, um, as you said, no one really needs to be adding. So fat bombs essentially are kind of treats that are very high in fat. And bulletproof coffee is coffee that's been mixed with butter and then MCT oil. Um, so these are really additional sources of fat. And I would say that you just need to eat whole foods, low food, high carb, uh, low fat, I'm sorry, low carb, high fat, whole foods, and that there's no need to be adding this additional um, fat um, if you're not hungry. Um, mm-hmm. And as you said, it doesn't really make sense if you're hoping to achieve weight loss, and why are you adding in extra fat and extra calories? Um, so uh, the other, um, so I would say, you know, fat bombs, there's really no indication, and I would choose those foods more as treats if I wanted a treat as opposed to, oh, I really need to introduce or- or in that transition stage, I yes. would say that's where they can play a role is helping yes. stabilizing your appetite. Yeah. I mean, bulletproof coffee, um, I mean, the MCT oil uh, uh, is converted in the liver to ketones. So what it does is it elevates your serum ketone level. So it can really suppress appetite and it can provide some of the other potential benefits of ketones possibly. Uh, but my philosophy is why would I drink ketones? And, and this is also true for those exogenous ketones that people sell. But why would mm-hmm. I drink them when I can use my own fat stores to, to make um, them? To make my own. So I'm kind of a purist on that. I don't believe in, in, in that stuff. Um, the other thing that we're going to see more of as keto gains popularity is we're going to start to see more keto um, products. Yeah, so absolutely. processed foods. Now, I mean, I would say that many of the health benefits and a lot of the weight loss that people experience when they go low carb is really just transitioning away from the processed foods that mm-hmm. we were, that are so prevalent in our North American diet. So, you know, these, these keto products are generally highly processed. So are they any better than any other processed foods? And I think that's hard to know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I personally, there's no role in my diet, there's no role for those processed products. Um, I can see, you know, for people um, who are very busy, maybe the convenience of these products is going to make them attractive. But I would say, just don't allow yourself to be fooled by this, you know, keto health halo, just because it says keto on it doesn't mean it's healthy. Exactly. And we've seen that throughout history, right? Like the food companies are very good at changing their marketing, depending on what's popular, like low fat, everything then was labeled low fat, you know, trans fat, everything got labeled about trans fat. And so it will, we will see it because low carbon keto is definitely getting more popular. And I often talk about essentially what you just said to my patients is I think you really need to maintain an awareness that there's health benefits in the metabolic changes that happen when you eat low carb. But I think a lot of the health benefits is you're just not eating crap. You're eating real whole foods that your body knows what they are, knows what to do with them. Um, And, you know, as things become more processed and more easily available, I think we just have to maintain that awareness 
I totally agree with you. Great. Um, okay. I think we've covered kind of everything that I had on my list. Do you have any other little tips or anything that you wanted to get in before we finish up? Uh, no, I don't. Other than, I mean, it's clear for, this is the case for me and it sounds like the case for you that this has just been a kind of a dramatic change in our lives. Um, mm -hmm. I feel very grateful to have found it because it really, um, it felt to me like these issues around my weight and diet uh, were just, I, I kind of, there was a time in my life where I thought I'd be 80 and still struggling uh, with this. So it's just been such a, um, so important in my life. Um, and that's why I'm so passionate about, about telling people, other people about it. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. Well, Miriam, thank you so much for spending a Saturday morning with me. My pleasure. <laughs> talking about this. It's been awesome. And again, I, I do think lots of people are going to find this really helpful. Um, and good luck with your exam. Thank you. Thanks, Siobhan. Lovely chatting with you. That was awesome. And I really appreciate Miriam taking the time out on a Saturday morning to spend time chatting with us and giving her personalized tips. Uh, after we finished the interview, there were a couple things that I realized we hadn't quite touched on. We covered a lot of ground, but uh, these ones I think are important to just make note of. One is that we mentioned alcohol, but we didn't go into detail on it. I think it's important to know that, yes, there are drinks that you can drink that are low carb and won't totally throw you off your path uh, when you're eating low carb. But I think there are a couple caveats to that. Number one is when you're eating lower carb, alcohol generally will affect you more. And I think that's really important to know and drink more slowly and probably dr plan on drinking less than you might have otherwise. And particularly be careful driving, uh, you know, never get behind the wheel if you think you're at all impaired, even if it's that you drink less than what you normally would. The other thing with alcohol is you have to remember that our goal in this is to get our body burning fat as its primary fuel. Alcohol is one of the fuels that needs to be burned before fat. Uh, so if you're drinking alcohol regularly, or if you tend to drink large amounts of alcohol, your body will need to focus on burning that off before it can burn fat. And so that's one way that alcohol can get in the way of weight loss. And it's worthwhile to be aware of if you're not losing weight and you have alcohol on a regular basis, you may want to consider cutting back on that or cutting it out for a while and see what happens. It doesn't take much alcohol for you to change what decisions you would make around food. And often alcohol and food are paired together. So you may go into a situation planning on sticking to your plan or planning on not eating. And after a glass of wine or a beer, all of a sudden those chips or nachos or uh, other stuff seems like a really good idea and you lose uh, your willpower or lose focus on your plan. And so that's another way alcohol can trip you up on weight loss attempts, and it's worthwhile remembering. The other topic I wanted to touch base on is simplicity. A lot of people that I work with get a little bit overwhelmed at the idea of changing their diet and how they eat, and they feel like they don't know where to start. And I think some of the problem is when you go online, there is a ton of recipes, information, meal plans about low carb or keto eating. Sometimes that can be overwhelming. It can feel like you need to change everything and learn a whole brand new way of cooking. And that's just not true. Low carb eating really can be as simple as making the same meat or protein you would normally make, 
If it's got sugar in it, cut the sugar down or cut it out or use a sweetener. And make the same vegetables you would make. Add a little bit of fat to the protein or the vegetable or both. And just choose not to make the starch. It really can be very, very simple and not require a lot of change. There are lots of really tasty recipes out there. And so you can choose to look for more or different recipes. But I think it's really important to remind yourself if you're feeling overwhelmed or confused that it can just be simple. It can really just be taking out the starch you would normally eat and adding a bit more fat to your meals. So how's low carb eating going for you? Have you tried it before or is this your first time around? Uh, Are there tips that you might have that you would like to share or are there um, some questions that we didn't cover? Stop by the website at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca and send us an email and or leave a comment on the podcast page and uh, I'll try to get back to you or answer them or address the tips in a later episode. And remember, if you feel like you need additional support to make these changes in your life, or you can't quite figure out why it's hard for you to make these changes, I'm available as a private one-on-one coach for physicians. Uh, Again, go to the website www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca and click on the work with me page and you can book your free uh, introductory session where we can have a little chat, figure out what some of the major issues are and talk about how I would be able to help you. We'll talk to you later. Have a great week. And now for a quick disclaimer, this podcast contains general education information on weight loss for physicians. I'm not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace a need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing.